welcome to the Health and Wellness Show. Today is January 18th, 2019, and I am your host, Erica. Joining me in our virtual studio from all across the world is my co-host, Tiffany and Doug. Good morning. Hello. So welcome all. Thank you for joining us today. Our topic is the power of prayer. It actually should be the healing power of prayer. Or this should is... we put, put it in question marks, the power of prayer? <laughs> that requires some discussion. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. We're going to discuss the, power, the healing power of prayer, so how it pertains to health and wellness. So for many people, the power of prayer can heal emotional, spiritual, physical, pain, and illness. Therapeutic applications like intercessory prayer, laying on of hands, meditation, and mindfulness are just a few of the practices that constitute prayer. So what exactly is prayer anyway, and how do those who feel its power know it works? Researchers in the field of neurotheology argue that evidence supports a direct relationship or health bonus for religious and spiritual people. What does the medical literature say about the healing potential of prayer? There have been over 1,600 published articles looking into this topic. So please join us today. If you have any experiences you'd like to share, you're welcome to share them in the chat or, hey, call on in. Yeah. But pray for us during the show. Yeah. <laughs> God grant me the ability to make it through this show today. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So we uh, decided that it would probably be best to start with a clip from Jordan Peterson. Because he talks a little bit about prayer and it's a good starting off point. So we're going to play this clip and we're going to come back and discuss the, the cynical attitude towards prayer is something like asking God for favors. And then, of course, the cynical analysis of that is that if you ask God for favors, like he won't help you find your lost wallet, generally speaking. You know, but that isn't, if, you're, if you take a bit of a more sophisticated approach to it, you know, what you're doing if you pray is that you, you formulate a question and you you wait for an answer and like a, a prayer might be, okay, I would like to do the best thing I could with my life. Now you have to open yourself up to that. That's to knock. So the door will open. I would like to do the best thing with my life. What might that be? Now you could say that you're thinking when you say that, or you, or you could say that you're leaving yourself open for a revelation or an intuition, but you're communing with whatever it is that enables you to receive wisdom. And you can attribute all of that to you, or you can attribute it to your brain, I suppose. But you're you're really communing with the structure of the cosmos when you're when you're asking such a question, and especially if you do it properly. And it's really useful to do that, and it's really necessary because it orients you you properly. So yeah, the demise of prayer when prayer is considered in a sophisticated manner, which is, do I commune with the better part of myself? Let's say to determine how I should orient myself in the world. It's a catastrophic loss not to do that. Sorry, forgot there Amen. was a little bit of a, a tune <laughs> at the end there. It's nice little piano music. 
Well, that was a pretty nice, succinct version of what prayer is or could be or should be. Or well, it's interesting. Be. Yeah. Because he, like, I think he makes an important distinction there because usually when you think about prayer, it's kind of like, I'm going to ask God for stuff. Like, I'm going to pray that I get the Christmas present. I'm thinking as a, as a kid, like, pray that you get the Christmas present that you really, really want. Or, you know, pray for a, a raise or a promotion or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm just going to, like, basically put an order in with God and, uh, you know, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll make that order come through. And I think that Peterson is kind of, like, making... A, like a distinction there is kind of like he doesn't even necessarily say that it's talking with any kind of higher power it's more like the highest part of yourself and it's looking for like insight mm-hmm. as opposed to stuff well that's yeah like he said is that that's the typical view of what prayer is you can't most of the time you can't really separate prayer from religion like that's automatically what i think of when i think of people praying and my own experience with religion and prayer like going to church as a kid learning the lord's prayer or saying um well you have to say your prayers before you go to bed every night and getting down on your knees and folding your hands in that prayer position and asking god for stuff that's typically what I think maybe the average person thinks about when they think about prayer, like, please, God, don't let me die from this sickness, or please uh, keep my husband from leaving me, or I want to get this job or this promotion, please, God, please, please, please. And <laughs> it's like begging. And like when I was a kid, I would think, well, does God kind of get pissed off because the only time you talk to them yeah. is when you want something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of always thought that too. It was kind of mm. like, doesn't, isn't it kind of like a little bit demanding, you know? Mm. It's and like, selfish. Uh, and selfish, yeah. It's kind of like, dear God, make my life super easy. <clears throat> Give me everything that I want. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, I found a, a definition online they define prayer as uh, making a request in a humble manner uh, to address God with adoration, confession, supplication, or thanksgiving. I saw that too. Yeah, like in a lot of uh, church prayers or when people gather around to say prayers before a meal, there's a lot of thank yous and God, mm-hmm. you're most holy, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we love you, God, and thank you, and all that stuff mm-hmm. coming from it. But Jordan Peterson makes a very different definition of what prayer is, and I think that I may have experienced that as well. It's like, kind of like asking a question and being open for whatever the answer is. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly like because i didn't consider it praying because you know i wasn't on my knees my hands weren't folded (laughs) i wasn't necessarily talking to god or jesus or anybody but i remember at one time i asked like and i didn't even frame it as a question i just said i want to know how the world works and why the world is the way that it is and then Mm -hmm. A little while after, I stumbled he upon... He answered your prayers. Yeah, my real, my real education. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, interesting. So. 
Well, there's another quote from Jordan Peterson, actually. don't have a recording of this one, but I'll just read it because it's not too long. He just says, I don't ask God for favors or for wishes, but I do think that if you sit on the edge of your bed and things aren't going very well for you and you ask what foolish thing you're doing to make it worse, that you'll get an answer right now. And it won't be the one that you want, but it might be the one that if you listen to it would set things straight. Well, I think one of the distinctions is one is begging or demanding, but in a nice way, but attempting to control the outcome or the situation. And then Jordan Peterson's explanation is more like being open, mm. asking what you can do or what can be done to make whatever situation better versus saying, I want things like this and please yeah. give it to me. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a huge thing, uh, a big, big difference. Um, it may manifest as kind of subtle at this level, but I think that it's a, it's a big difference. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of like, like I said, asking for insight or, um, yeah, being open to what the response is going to be, not um, trying to, like, predetermine what would be best for you mm -hmm. and asking for that. It's a very big difference. Well, I found it interesting in reading for this topic this week about the whole relationship with prayer and healing and this idea that if you pray for somebody who's sick, that they'll get better. And have anyone's ever gone through, you know, a tragic death of a family member or close friend, you know, especially with terminal illness like cancer, you can pray and pray and pray and they're still going to die. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But I think there's a difference between pray, prayer for healing and prayer to cure. You know what I'm saying? So, like, maybe uh, people that are at the end of their life and they, they um, embrace this idea of prayer, maybe some of the things that happen that may have led to that illness can be healed before they die. So not yeah. a cure, but... Uh, a releasing of whatever it is that has caused them so much pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, I think if you look at if you look at any kind of illness or disease or condition as <clears throat> like a lesson, um, then what you're really praying for. I mean, it's not you're not praying. I think if you're doing it right, anyway, you're not praying to just give up that lesson to be like, I don't want to learn this lesson, so make me better. It's more like praying for guidance or help in learning the lesson or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, you know, I think that it comes, it can come in very um, ways that we're not expecting, I guess. It's like the idea that you can just sit there and you pray and like all of a sudden you wake up and you're healed. Probably not going to happen. But that you might pray for, you know, an answer. And suddenly mm -hmm. you find out about a new therapy or something that might help yeah. in some way. Or find a person who's capable of showing you the way or something along those lines. Yeah, pray for guidance or pray for a certain course of action to take in your particular right. situation. So yeah. do we want to talk about like what actually is, is a prayer? prayer? What is it? Like I've thought before, like, what is a thought? 
Like people say, oh, I'm going to pray for you, or I'll keep you and your family in my thoughts. Like, what actually is that? Like, either on a micro scale or quantum level, or on a macro cosmic level, what is a prayer? What does what does the act of sending healing or good thoughts or positive thoughts? What does that actually look like, or what does it do? What does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, feel, on the one, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel you, Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I was just going to share for myself because I grew up in a quote-unquote religious family. We went to church. We sang in the choir, Bible study. You know, the Lord's prayers. Tiffany had mentioned. And, I, and we spent a lot of time doing it. And I remember being pretty young and being like, gosh, all these people are talking about really great things, but like their behavior isn't showing that necessarily. Mm. And I never had like an aha moment as a kid. Like, I feel the spirit of God. You know, they kept saying, well, Jesus is with you and all this stuff. And you're like, well, I'm, not, I'm not feeling Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think probably the only time I really felt like a, a spirit or a connection with other people was singing in the choir. And so that was kind of my go-to. Oh, it was like now in my later years, I think is probably stress reduction, right? Breathing and, mm -hmm. but also this- the vagus nerve. Yeah, also this idea of community and people coming together and they all kind of have the same thoughts in mind, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you can have those experiences doing karaoke, you know, with your mm -hmm. friends. It's the same kind of feeling. So I'm going to quote Bob Marley here, but he says, who feels it knows it. And I, and that's kind of my feeling about it. Like that, you know, when you're thinking of other people and you, you're having them in your prayers, you're not thinking about yourself mm -hmm. necessarily, but you want what's best for somebody else. Well, yeah. there was a good article called The Dichotomy of Effective Prayer. And they said that prayer, or the author said that the prayer is a way to get the focus energy in a person's direction on a quantum level. That was one of the questions they asked. Um, I surmise, like, maybe is it a way to get the universe to take notice of a person or a situation, but wouldn't the universe notice that person anyway? Because we're all part of the universe. Um, <clears throat> but in the article, they went on to say, like, if you imagine, like, the universe's parallel lines and lanes of, of, of a highway, and if you go way out far to the left or the right, there might be, like, different things happening, and there's a possibility that you can get your reality to match this other lane that might be a possible future, perhaps. Mm. Um, so is prayer a way to tip the scale in one direction versus another direction? And then they go on to talk about how the heart releases electromagnetic energy and it can create this harmonic resonance with the surrounding environment. So if you have positive emotions like joy or gratitude or acceptance that might move you into a different direction than if you're begging and pleading and lamenting about how sucky things are 
Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because that that's kind of similar to what Joe Dispenza talks about with his different mm-hmm. meditations and stuff like that, like getting yourself into a state of where you would be were that prayer a reality. Mm. And kind of, because I think that there is, you know, they mentioned the heart and the kind of electromagnetic field of the heart and that sort of thing. And I, it, I think there definitely is a very strong emotional component to prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you are kind of you see this is, this is the problem because it kind of gets into the kind of that flaky new age and the secret kind of stuff where it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah you just have to get rid of all your negative emotions and just be this you know positive being in a complete state of denial about your life breaking down around you and then you'll get exactly what you want which seems like naive and silly really mm-hmm. at the at the base of it but at the same time, there definitely is this emotional component to prayer. And I don't think that if you're coming from this place of victimhood and lack and um, despair, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, 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 like, it's almost like coming from a place where you pity yourself so much and you want the universe to pity you as well. And it's like I, you're asking for these things out of this sense of patheticness and kind of like, oh, I'm a pathetic human being. Please take pity on me, um, which kind of it seems like like an Old Testament kind of perspective on things like begging for relief from whatever you're kind of going through at that time. Hmm. Whereas I think there is a difference when you kind of are coming from a place of, I don't know, like kind of like, yeah, things are bad, but um, I know they can be better. And this is how I, th- no, not even this is how I think it would be better because then you're kind of demanding that things be your way. Yeah. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. a sticky thing. Yeah. Well, in that article, they had a good quote that it says, if prayer is nothing else, it is the ability to constructively focus the mind and the heart. Prayer does not happen in the mind, but in the heart. And prayer is not a thought, but a feeling. Prayer is always at work. When we learn to work with our emotions, we wield effective prayer. And I don't know if it was the same article or a different article. There was a woman whose father was very sick and in the hospital, and she decided that she was going to have like a prayer circle or something. And she got some people together, and they were praying, but it wasn't like begging or pleading. They were celebrating her dad's life and how he was a great person and how he lived a good life and how they loved him so much and he got better hmm. after the prayer session. So I, I guess you could say that they approached the situation with love and with joy and with good feelings and they weren't hmm. like sighing and crying about, oh, you know, please don't let him die. Hmm. I don't, it's a fine line to walk and you can't really name what you should do because kind of in a way that's kind of like demanding that I want things to be this certain way so give it to me mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of uh, uh, what's the, the word I'm looking for like an arrogance to it mm-hmm. thinking that I know the way things should be and am making a demand that it be that way mm-hmm. So when you pray, is it whatever energy particles are directed <laughs> at a, a person? 
Well, I guess that's a good question. The question is, does that really have an effect, or is it placebo, or is it just well, it's kind of similar to the similar to the whole distance Reiki thing, right? Yeah. When people are doing Reiki on people at a distance, I mean, in a sense, that's kind of a prayer, or it's mm -hmm. like sending. I don't know, sending energy Directed or something healing like that. Energy. Yeah. Again, thinking of somebody else. And yeah. you have people all over the world that are all thinking about the same person. That yeah, is cumulative, a, the cumulative effects, like when multiple people get together, you can say that it would probably be more powerful than just one person thinking good thoughts about mm -hmm. somebody else. Well, and also the thinking good thoughts thing. I mean, I know that in a lot of cases, that's kind of become the non-denominational thing of I'll pray for you. It's like, oh, I'll keep you in my thoughts. It's like, but there was actually a study where they were studying kind of the, the power of prayer. And I think this is one where they were looking at whether it could change a person's emotional state. And they had some people think about a person. I think it was, there was a couple of different studies that, that, change the variables a little bit. So I might be mixing this up a little bit, but I believe what it was is that they had um, an anonymous person give a negative critique of something they had written. So they mm -hmm. had negative feelings about this person because they were like, oh, this is the worst essay I've ever read. And they had this, so the person would inevitably have this like negative feeling towards this person. And then they asked some of the participants to pray for them and some of the participants to just think about them. Um, unspecified, just think about them. And the people who just thought about them didn't report any change in their own um, emotional state, whereas the people who prayed for them actually found that their anger had dissipated mm -hmm. to varying degrees depending on the participant. So, I mean, that's, that's just looking at sort of one aspect of prayer. But um, at the same time, I wonder if just keeping you in my thoughts really is the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe there actually is something to praying for a person and whatever form that that might actually take, because mm -hmm. I don't think it necessarily means you need to be quoting Bible verses, but um, just thinking about somebody, I don't think is the same thing as prayer because there's more, maybe it's because there's more intent behind a prayer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, or maybe it's just a matter of using a particular word. Like some people would say that, having someone in their thoughts is pretty much the same as a prayer, but if you consider that feelings prompt thoughts, then it's the feeling behind the thought that can make the difference. Um, yeah, but in the study that you're talking about, um, I think they said that nearly all the participants in that study said that they were Christian or had Christian beliefs. And there was one person that refused to pray, so they dumped that person from the study. So, again, it's hard to kind of tease out, like, the reason why these people felt less angry after they were praying for the person, either a, just a random person, like they uh, talked about some woman who had cancer and they told the participants in the study to imagine how this woman felt or think about her for five minutes and pray for her. And then I think in another aspect of the study, they wanted the person to pray for the person who criticized them. Right. So 
in both cases, the people said they felt less angry, but did they feel less angry because they associate prayer with religion? And if you're religious, mm. you're supposed to be good and you're not supposed to feel angry and all that. So maybe, or it even could be as simple as taking your mind off of the anger. Yeah. Because a lot of times anger just is perpetuated by you kind of going over it and over it in your mind and like stewing on it and so if you're given a task see a good control for that would be like give them a math problem or something like that you know mm -hmm. something relatively neutral but that requires a lot of attention and if that would have the same kind of effect well there was another experiment where they got um, I think they had a group of Catholics and some atheists and it was some kind of experiment to see if they could tolerate pain from electric shocks. Hmm. So they had a couple of pictures people could look at. There was a picture of the Virgin Mary and a picture from Da Vinci. And I forget which one it was. Was it Starry Night or something? Did he do Starry Night? No, no Van Gogh did Starry Night. Okay. Well, some Da Vinci picture. <laughs> and they said... <laughs> <laughs> it was a non-religious one, though, right? Yeah, it was a religious picture and a non-religious picture. So they said that the Catholics, at the end of the study, they felt less pain while looking at the religious picture versus the non-religious picture. And the atheists felt no difference in their pain. Hmm. So they wondered if it was because they were looking at a picture of a beloved figure and they wondered if, like, maybe if a parent or a family member or somebody that you loved could uh, cause the same effect. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Because yeah. then I guess that would be a way to control for whether it's actually just having kind of <clears throat> some kind of religious association mm -hmm. or if it is more about kind of comfort and warm, fuzzy thoughts. Yeah. But there well, was also a study, it was a small study took place in Mozambique and they tested people's hearing and their vision before they participate in, the, in this prayer session and then they tested them afterwards and they said that some of the hard of hearing people were able to hear sounds at 50 decibels lower after the prayer session and some of the visually impaired people saw their vision improve from 2400 or worse to 2080 or better. So, yeah. so they saw the light. <laughs> what <laughs> the was going light. on there? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. You know, the, this, this power, and it kind of, it gets into the whole placebo effect as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't help but kind of have that little cynical part of yourself where it's kind of like, oh, it's just a placebo effect. But there is no just the placebo effect because the placebo effect in and of itself is pretty damn impressive and amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that they kind of tie together because it is something happening on a non-material level where it's just like the power of thought or prayer or emotion or whatever it is, is, is actually having the power to affect the body like affecting the material world. Um, so I think, yeah, there's definitely something to it because, you know, with the placebo effect, it's like you give the person a dummy pill, something that doesn't have anything to it, and they take it and they have 
uh, like in some cases, rather miraculous recoveries of their condition. And <clears throat> then you have prayer where it's kind of like people, oh, we're going to pray for you or the person themselves pray. And similarly, you hear these stories of these kind of like miraculous recoveries. So I think, I think the two are probably tied together in some way. And it probably has something to do with accessing the information field in some fashion. Maybe that's maybe that's getting a little bit too woo, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's just because people have a positive uh, have positive thoughts about prayer and what prayer can do. Like, if you get together and you pray for somebody, they're going to get better just because they think that prayer makes people better. I think it's more than that. Mm. Well, it's interesting too because. Uh... I'll put the link up on the chat here in a minute, but there was a Harvard University study called God in Health, and it's like 20 pages long, and they went through this whole, you know, this prayer heal and all this stuff, and they were talking about the field of psychoneuroimmunology and how, you know, up until about the 80s, you know, there was this whole separation of mind and body and that psychoneuroimmunology decided to research the effects of negative and positive attitudes and emotions on the immune system. And one man that's kind of famous for it is a guy named Norman Cousins. And he I won't go through his whole story, but he was diagnosed with a very degenerative, what was it? collagen disease and he was mm -hmm. going to die like a painful death and he decided to start watching Groucho Marx videos or reruns of comedy and laughing and he healed himself um, and so he spearheaded a task force at UCLA that's actually still in there today called the Norman Cousins Center for Neuroimmunology <laughs> 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 but just like we were talking about, Doug, they talked about the placebo-inducing effects of belief in God and how um, it might explain from an evolutionary perspective that the human species is so, um, what is it, incongruently religious in the first place and people's faith in the possibility of supernatural healing was all they had to keep them healthy. So this idea of your thoughts being in producing a, whether an unhealthy state or a healthy state. And we've actually talked about a lot of things like that in this show over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the book by Gaber Mate, When the Body Says No, and how when people start dealing with these repressed emotions or feelings how they start to feel better like again they're not cured mm -hmm. but they they have a release or a healing experience go on and they can cry and let go or whatever it is so i don't know what my point is in all that <laughs> just speculating that uh there is something it, to be said about your mind and your emotions and the effect it has on your physical body yeah I think that sums it up pretty good. Like it goes back to feeling gratitude and feeling joy and whether or not you're praying at that time, it still affects you on a molecular level and can hmm. contribute to your healing. 
Well, one of our chatters actually posted a bit from that article that we were talking about, the dichotomy of effective prayer. Mm-hmm. And I'll just read it because it's actually a really good part. Um, Indians dance for rain. They do not complain. They do not beg. They do not control. They dance in celebration for the rain they feel on their faces and in their hearts. Then it rains. When one forces control over the universe, one finds a universe demanding forced control. Prayer is not something we do before we face God in a foxhole. Prayer is something we are doing right now. Effective prayer is a state of mind, vulnerability. It takes strength to be vulnerable. Destructive prayer is a state of mind, control. The weakness of fear demands control. When misery finds you and you follow it, you are miserable. Prayer is a conscious act. Prayer is the effort it takes to change the way you feel and subsequently what you observe. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like effective effective prayer is a state of mind and it's vulnerability. Yeah. I think that's a good point because it's kind of like getting back to what we were talking about, the demanding versus like, you know, asking for an insight or guidance in some way. It's like being vulnerable and saying, yes, I'm in a bad state. I don't know what to do. I, I could use some help versus like, I, th- I want things to be like this. Well, that's the difference between that whole um, prosperity doctrine that a lot of religions have when it springs up every now and again throughout history, like praying for riches or wealth or, you know. Mm. Um, think and grow rich. Yeah, think and grow rich or the power of positive thinking is certainly not that. But how, like I have a question, like, can you pray for somebody without their permission? Hmm. Hmm, that's a hard one. <laughs> I, well, like, I, I think, think that, that People say, say they have a combative relationship with somebody in their life. And they say, well, you know, I'm just going to pray for him. That's really just an effort to control as well. You're just going to wish really hard that this person stops acting like a jerk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like you're not actually praying for them. You're praying for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And directing it at them. It's like, why can't they be different? Yeah. And that, to me, sounds like sending love and light to somebody. When you really shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes that stuff can blow up in your face. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to, I guess. If you're going to send love and light to somebody who doesn't actually want love and light, then... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like an interference of free will and, and all th- this kind of stuff. Like, you know, I think, uh, but praying for somebody, like actually somebody who knows how to pray and prays for somebody mm-hmm. and is basically just wishing for them, for their highest good of whatever that may be, their purpose. Yeah, maybe that's loaded terms, but... 
you know what I mean though? It's like you're, you're kind of not necessarily praying for a particular outcome or praying for them to be in this way or praying for them to realize what a jerk they've been. It's sort of just, I want the best for this person. Mm. Maybe that would be a way of praying for somebody in a positive way. Maybe. Even but without then, their permission. Yeah. yeah, even without, I don't know. Maybe it depends on the nature of your relationship. Like, if that's one of the things that you and your family or you, your group of friends do, like you pray for each other, you don't need explicit permission from that person to have positive feelings directed towards them. Then yeah. maybe there are some people who are like, you know, if you say to them, I'm going to pray for you, and they're like, don't pray for no, me. Don't. I don't believe in that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that woo-woo stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Most people it's don't really say that, even if they might feel that way. They just want to be polite and say, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they're probably thinking, well, they're not going to really do it. So <laughs> it's just something you say these days. No, it's a tough one, though. It really is. Because I know in Reiki, like they say, don't send Reiki to somebody without permission. Yeah. It's like, you know, they have to have given their consent to take on that healing energy. And just like, you know, just doing it because you feel it's, it is kind of like uh, an abridgment of their free will. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, maybe deep down they don't want to heal. Maybe there's, uh, there's something going on that they have to figure out. And mm -hmm. you're trying to bypass that by just sending them healing mm -hmm. or something along those lines. And maybe even it has an opposite effect. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, if you can send positive healing energies to someone and it works, I mean, even though there's no absolute concrete proof that it does, but there's lots of testimonials that people have gotten better after prayers. Hmm. I mean, could the opposite, opposite be true? Like, can you send a curse to somebody, <laughs> like of a bunch of people? Like, there's all these uh, pagan witches or whatever say they're going to get together and curse Donald Trump. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think it worked. Yeah. <laughs> or people that pray for world peace. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. what does that even really mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely coming from a kind of a naive place. Yeah. Or Not they really get together. Understanding. Yeah, and they pray for the planet, or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you start reading about stuff like voodoo and all that kind of <laughs> black magic, those <laughs> sorts of things, does that stuff work? I mean, maybe, I think on some level it probably does. Mm -hmm. um, well, people I mean, are only a leader into all that spirit cooking and all that kind of crap, like, yeah. that, uh, who knows, like they're doing it for a reason they clearly seem to think it it does something and there are people who believe that they have been cursed and they suffer after being cursed so mm -hmm. but would they still suffer if they didn't know they had been cursed maybe no answer to that i guess <laughs> but there are people i think there have been studies like they had groups of people in a hospital where they said you're going to be in this experiment and you may or may not get prayer. Mm -hmm. And then they either really didn't pray for that person or they 
said you may or may not get prayer, and they actually went ahead and prayed for that person. And then there, were, uh, there was another group where they said, well, you are going to get prayed for, and they actually prayed for him. Mm. And the people who didn't know whether they were going to get prayed for or not, um, when they went back and they saw the people that actually did get prayed for, they actually rated their well-being higher afterwards. So they didn't necessarily mm. know that they were being prayed for, and they still got better. So maybe conversely, if you don't believe that a curse might work, you might fall victim to a curse. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just muttering the waters even more, Tiff. <laughs> but the people who didn't know whether they or not they were going to get prayed for and didn't get prayed for, did mm -hmm. they have any improvement? I don't, I don't quite remember. Uh, maybe, but mm. there was another... A study they did where they had some people in the hospital and they said, you know, we're going to pray for you. And the people actually got worse. <laughs> oh, really? And they wondered if it was because the person thought, am I so sick that I really need people <laughs> praying for me? So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it comes down to the person that you're praying for being open to it. And at least believing that maybe if it doesn't heal them, that it'll at least relieve their stress, or it's just nice to have somebody thinking about you and wishing the best for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe that, that your initial question about it is, maybe it's not okay to pray for people if they don't know you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, what about the probably millions of people out there mm probably mostly in the southern states, who are praying for Donald Trump. <laughs> He's not asking them to. No. Um, but I don't know. Is that going to have a negative effect or a positive effect? I mean, we can't know, obviously, but it's just well, interesting. Like when you have somebody who's famous, right? Like somebody who is, um, you know, maybe some superstar who falls down with an illness or something like that. And his fans who are more religious may pray for them. Mm -hmm. um, even though they haven't spoken to them or gotten permission or the person hasn't said, I will uh, ac accept any prayers of anybody out there. Um, you know, what, what kind of effect does that have? I think it was back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, is it selfish? Like, I'm praying for this superstar because I want to be able to see him continue to make movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or yeah. do they? is it a genuine care for the other person's well-being mm -hmm. i mean yeah. i i we're in the south and so the the prayer thing is very real and you know when when people say well i'm gonna pray for you you know for me i feel like oh um, okay you know you kind of <laughs> don't know what to say but at the also, it's like, what are the intentions behind mm -hmm. it? So why are you going to pray for me? Is there something wrong with me? Did I? <laughs> yeah, and then another question that arises from that is, is just some random person says, oh, they're going to pray for you. I'm like, but you don't even know me. <laughs> mm. It's not like you shouldn't be praying for me because, you know, but wouldn't the prayer, this is just a question, wouldn't the prayer be more effective if this person knew you and loved you and could picture you in their minds and what you're like and 
just things along that line versus just some person you don't really know them that well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench in the discussion here. So do you Mm. both feel that things like meditation and mindfulness would constitute as prayer? Mm. Should we save Uh, that for another show? (laughs) I think it's fitting because a lot of people kind of merge those two together, prayer and meditation. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that they're the same thing. Like, I consider meditation to be more like something that you do to relax, kind of focus your mind. Like some people use a mantra or something when they're meditating. Uh, They might concentrate on their breathing or something, but is that necessarily like a prayer, like asking something of the universe? Maybe it could be, but it could not be also. It's a blurry line, I think. (laughs) Because, I mean, some people like with mantras and stuff like that, like some people are actually using prayers as the mantra, as the, you know, the seed for the meditation. So in that sense, it's, it's, I'd say it is prayer. Mm. But as somebody who's just sitting there and trying to kind of observe their thoughts and focus on the breath and focus on the body, is that prayer? I, I don't know. Because prayer kind of, <clears throat> I guess prayer kind of like implies that there's some kind of intention there. Mm-hmm. Whereas meditation is usually done kind of for for its own sake. I mean, there is an intention in a sense to kind of like exercise that attention muscle in a way to kind of be more present, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I would put it in the same category as prayer. Maybe it comes down to the person and what their intention is because some people meditate because they want to become one with the universe or mm. something like that, like or and, uh, bump up their levels of consciousness and yeah, they have an mm-hmm. intended goal. Yeah. They want to reach nirvana or become a Buddha or <laughs> be enlightened. <laughs> or attain psychic powers or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I was reading that was kind of interesting um, is that this whole idea of meditation and mindfulness. And uh, John Kabat-Zinn, he wrote Full Catastrophe Living, and he worked with... Uh, patients that were um, in pain or had terminal illnesses and um, was trying to teach them these practices of meditation and mindfulness. And what was really interesting about it was, and you know, I was teaching yoga too or whatever, but he kind of followed this group for eight weeks and um, none of them had ever done it before. And one thing that was interesting that he kept saying was like, instead of that idea of blocking out the negative, like to push into the pain and, and the negative thoughts and accept them for what they are and not, you know, because a lot of times, back to that woo-woo idea, people think, oh, meditation is only positive. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought it was important that, that he was telling people, like, this is not going to take away your pain. But if you can mm-hmm. embrace your pain and move into your pain, you can accept it and then move on. You know, mm-hmm. that idea of, of instead of incessantly ruminating on how, the negativity of the pain, it's like, why is it there? And 
I think like 75% of these people had positive results after the eight weeks. And then they went back four years later and 90% of them were still doing it. So mm. it was doing something hmm. for them. You know, whether that was, again, prayer or just maybe even facing the facts, like mm -hmm. with pain, it's not going to, you, you can't just think it away. But if you come close to it and see it for what it is and, and maybe accept it, then you can, you can survive, you know. And one thing I wrote down that he said, which was really interesting, is that... Um, he would ask his patients, do you want to go from just existing to living? Mm. You know, and again, I don't know what I'm trying to get <laughs> out there. But well, that <laughs> brings me to another question. Like, is it possible? Like, people say that everything can be a meditation. Like, when you're washing the dishes or you're cleaning the house, that can be a meditation. I think that could be true in a way like if you're more mindful of what you do you pay more attention to your actions and uh, your effect on your environment and your effect on other people that's being more mindful is it possible to live a more prayerful life like if you conduct your life like you accept it for what it is you're not always uh, you know whining and being a victim um, you're open, you're always open to new knowledge and new courses of action, new directions to go into. Is that leading a prayerful life? If you're always asking, like, how can I make things better? Or is there something out there that can guide me in a particular direction or any direction that might improve my life or, or the lives of people around me? Is that living a prayerful life? Uh. <laughs> so basically, we're posing more questions than answers. <laughs> it's that's, true. That's praying. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just praying. Praying is asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe someone who does pray on a regular basis in kind of the, the right way for lack of a better term is leading a prayerful life i i don't know i think that's mm -hmm. a, a i mean maybe it is sort of like an attitude that you can kind of just adopt where it's kind of like i always want to know what i could be doing differently mm -hmm. to make things better i guess well that's kind of what the clip shared yeah. in the beginning of our show. Mm. You know, and again, like the whole idea of mindfulness, like Tiffany was saying, I mean, if you're constantly ruminating about all the negative things in your life, it's going to blur your vision mm -hmm. to see everything in a negative light. Whereas if you're open and, you know, you even ask, like, you know, sometimes at the end of the long week and you hate your job and you're like, why am I doing this? You know, what's the point? <laughs> you know, if you could switch that to, well, this is what I need to do now to be here in this life and mm -hmm. take care of myself and my family and my community. And what do I want to do? What is my higher calling or my aim even, you know, and, and try and be open. 
and maybe you get fired and you know mm. all of a sudden it's like okay well there's your choice <laughs> you know find another job and for some people it turns out to be the best thing that ever happens to them so mm -hmm. is that prayer mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah so, i think one of, of the tricky well it's one of the tricky things about this i think is that it isn't very well defined mm -hmm. i mean people you think of prayer and you think about being in church reciting verses and that's just mm -hmm. kind of like mindless like <clears throat> repetition more than anything else i think most yeah. people probably aren't even thinking about the meaning of the words that they're reciting but mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know this i think we're we're talking about something different here and because it's so it's not really defined very well although you did read a definition at one point but nonetheless <laughs> i feel like it's not particularly well defined uh, i think that the application of it even though we have a definition the application is the the sticky part of it yeah like right. how do you apply this to your life in a way that you're not really demanding or wanting to control for a certain outcome that's mm -hmm. the fine line that we have to walk because there's yeah. lots of people who pray all the time and things don't get better for them. Like people yeah. who like get sick. Like I think there was one article we read where this couple's teenage son, his appendix burst and they didn't take him to the hospital. They just prayed for him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are religions that really believe in that. Mm -hmm. I know the Jehovah's Witnesses are one of them and Seventh-day Adventists. What do they call it? Faith healing? Mm-hmm. Mm hmm And wasn't that guy, um, is it Pat Robertson? Is that his name? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he basically would always be telling people, don't go to doctors. You don't need to go to a doctor. Just pray. God is a more powerful healer than, than doctors are. And then, like, he had to have some kind of procedure done, and he went and did it. And it's one of his practitioner, petition, petitioners? No. Parishioners? Um, Parishioners, thank you. One of his parishioners was like, so how come you went to a doctor, but you tell everybody else to just pray? And he, didn't, he just started like rambling and didn't really have a very good answer. <laughs> so I think the idea of, I mean, certain, I can see where it's coming from because certain religious practices, like I can see why a certain religion would be like, you know what, we don't believe in vaccines. We think this is all bunk and we don't, we don't want them. And you know, mm -hmm. from the medical side of things, they're like, dangerously like endangering their own lives and the lives of their children. And um, I can see why there's this, this kind of battle there because they're kind of like, well, prayer is just a bunch of bunk. Mm -hmm. So refusing medical treatment is just that. It's just refusing medical treatment and you're putting yourself and your children in danger. But I can see why they would have that kind of perspective about certain things. I mean, obviously, you can't be black and white about it. Like, the power of prayer is not strong enough to heal a burst appendix or an appendix <laughs> that's about to burst. It's like, no, you need medical attention. You've got to go and get that looked after. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the, the black and white kind of thinking on that is what's really detrimental there. Like, to reject all medical science is essentially just rejecting help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even from their perspective, that God could be working through the doctor, you know, um, so to just reject doctors outright because it's not miracle healing is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Would people still do it? 
Yeah. And people will continue to do it. People will do what they will do. So, One of the interesting things, too, uh, is, and I'm going to go there with the AA approach, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And for those who may not know, they have the serenity prayer, and that's a big part of their practice. And basically, I won't read the whole thing, but it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, this really helps. So it's like they uh, surrender to God. Now, again, you know, whether you believe that's a blue-eyed Jesus or whatever, <laughs> it's almost like that supplicating or giving over something that you don't have control of. Mm. Yeah. Maybe in a way it's accepting the reality of their powerlessness over alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot to be said for accepting things as the way they are, not necessarily that you can't do anything to change it, but you have to know what the problem is in order to be able to fix it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the well, whole 12-step kind of 12, like, uh, 12 program is going through and, you know, righting these wrongs and making amends and, and basically dealing with your behavior, accepting your behavior and getting honest feedback from others about mm -hmm. your behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there, is there much more to say about prayer? I mean, I guess people can try it out, try it out, experiment for themselves. Like if you, uh, maybe we should play the Jordan Peterson clip again, just to close it off with what his definition is. So if people want to experiment with trying it. Yeah, okay. The, the cynical attitude towards prayer is something like asking God for favors. And then, of course, the cynical analysis of that is that if you ask God for favors, like, he won't help you find your lost wallet, generally speaking. You know, but that isn't, if, you're, if you take a bit of a more sophisticated approach to it, you know, what you're doing if you pray is that you, you formulate a question and you you wait for an answer and like a, a prayer might be, okay, I would like to do the best thing I could with my life. Now you have to open yourself up to that. That's to knock so the door will open. I would like to do the best thing with my life. What might that be? Now you could say that you're thinking when you say that or you, or you could say that you're leaving yourself open for a revelation or an intuition, but you're communing with whatever it is that enables you to receive wisdom. And you can attribute all of that to you, or you can attribute it to your brain, I suppose. But you're, you're really communing with the structure of the cosmos when you're, when you're asking such a question, and especially if you do it properly. And it's really useful to do that, and it's really necessary because it orients you, you properly. So, yeah, the demise of prayer, when prayer is considered in a sophisticated manner, which is, do I commune with the better part of myself, let's say, to determine how I should orient myself in the world. It's a catastrophic loss not to do that. Hmm. So commune with the better part of yourself. Hmm. 
ask a question, be open. And so that's, according to that's Peterson, our homework. Not gonna, not gonna like the answer very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, we why don't we uh, go to the pet health segment? What's the topic yes. today? Uh, cats praying. No. <laughs> Pet therapy. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week we are going to talk about pet therapy, or how our fluffy or not so fluffy companions can heal us or help us deal with stress. Listen up and have a great weekend. Maybe you've been here. It's final season and you're walking across campus when suddenly a big, beautiful sign catches your attention. Exam week therapy dogs. And when you show up, it's a giant room full of well-trained, adorable puppers and college students leaving with looks of stress-free bliss. Pet therapy has been around in some form or another for over a hundred years. And today, it's part of programs everywhere, from hospitals to college campuses. Many studies have shown that it works, too, and that pets can relieve anxiety, stress, and provide comfort. But these effects don't just happen because animals are cute. Instead, they actually say a lot more about what it means to be human. Although it likely existed in some form before then, pet therapy was first popularized around 1860, thanks to the famous nurse Florence Nightingale. She noticed that patients with chronic illness felt better when they had an animal partner by their side. Now, these programs can be found basically everywhere there are people. The technical term for this treatment is animal-assisted therapy, or AAT. There are all kinds of variations, but two are especially common. In one type of program, a handler will bring an animal to an outside location like a college campus or nursing home, for people to interact with. The other kind is more structured and often involves a counselor or social worker. This type of therapy can include everything from playing with a dog to caring for a horse, and it's often combined with other forms of treatment depending on the patient. Regardless of the program, though, multiple studies have shown that AAT has a positive, measurable effect, both in those with and without clinical conditions. For example, several have shown that petting and playing with a dog can improve patients' moods by decreasing their distress and pain. Specifically, a visiting dog can boost your body's productions of endorphins, which ultimately trigger the release of chemicals that act like painkillers and produce euphoria. Dog visits have also been shown to decrease levels of cortisol, norepinephrine, and epinephrine in patients, which are all stress hormones. Like most things in science, there are some papers that haven't found such significant results. But for the most part, researchers are pretty confident that AAT works. It just might not be because of the reasons you'd think. For one, these effects don't just apply to animal lovers. They appear in people who feel neutral about animal companions, too. And it's not just because the animals are super outgoing and always excited to see you, either, like dogs typically are. Pretty much all animal companions do the trick for these kinds of therapies. Rabbits, horses, cats, you name it. Even animal farms full of goats and cows are helpful. The effects aren't even because these animals are soft or fluffy. Several studies have also shown that fish, bearded dragons, and crickets can help increase focus and positive emotions. Instead, the secret to AAT seems to be about the bond between humans and animals in general. After all, whether you're sick, stressed, or just trying to process life, animal companions won't judge you but they will be there for you. Most studies have focused on AAT's effects and not the underlying mechanism, so it's hard to say for sure that this is the case. 
and it probably varies depending on the person and the animal too. But in general, an unconditional, non-judgmental relationship with animals could give patients a safe place to process emotions or try new tasks. One study also suggested they could be a helpful distraction from other problems or symptoms, or a place to practice social interactions. And there's some evidence for the importance of the human-animal relationship in studies that have been done so far. In a study published in the Journal of Anxiety, Stress, and Coping in 2003, 58 people without clinical diagnoses were presented with a stressful situation. They were told that they might be asked to hold a tarantula sitting elsewhere in the room. Those who considered this while petting an animal, whether it was a soft, fluffy rabbit or a hard-shelled turtle, experienced a reduction in stress and anxiety. But those who were petting a plush toy version of those animals didn't display the same effects. Which makes sense, if the relationship and interactions with the animal are key. On the flip side, though, other studies with dementia patients have shown that robot dogs are effective at reducing stress and anxiety. These robots looked, sounded, and behaved a lot like the real thing, and the patients responded to them a lot like they did with real animals. So, the benefits of the relationship were probably replicated unlike with the plush toys in the other study. It would help to have some solid research to pin down this mechanism, but it seems like a promising one. Of course, there are other positive side effects of being around animals too, like playing with a dog or helping out at an animal farm will increase your amount of physical activity, and exercise is a well-known way to boost your endorphin levels. But at the end of the day, when it comes to animal-assisted therapy, it seems to be mostly about the bond. Thanks for watching this episode of SciShow Psych. Those are some therapeutic goats. <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting therapy. I think it's just calming. I don't know. I mean, you got to like dogs or dog therapy. But. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it wouldn't be very therapeutic if you're afraid of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, they love you no matter what. That's what's so interesting about having dogs is... Uh, yeah. They're really happy when you come home. <laughs> yeah. You feel very loved and appreciated. Yeah. And really, they just want food. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. Ulterior motives. Cats, too, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I think that the, the cats are pretty single-minded. It's like sometimes they want attention, but most of the time they just want food. But one of our chatters mentioned about just being in the moment and, you know, maybe that's why animal therapy is so helpful because if people are just in that moment with that animal, they're, you know, not focusing on their illness or their stresses of their life. They're just present at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you all don't have much more to share. I think that's our show for today. We probably asked more questions than we answered. But yeah. we did include some links in there if you're interested in looking more into it. It is a fascinating topic. and We can pray for more answers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, try it out in your own life. Don't attempt to control. Just be open. Ask the question. Be open to what the answers might be. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you for our chatters. Be sure to tune into this weekend's show on Saturday. The Truth Perspective. And uh, Newsreel on Sunday. And uh, we look forward to being here again next week. The new interesting topic. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye.